0: All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show we have Jeremy J. Wilms, multi-instrumentalist, singer, songwriter, arranger. Jeremy has had a long and varied career as a studio musician and as a session musician, as a side musician, filling any role that he found he could do and wanted to do, he did it. Um, But after years of supporting others and seeing their vision, he has now decided to embrace his own. Going under the name J. Wilms, Um, Jeremy has a new record out called The Fighter. We're going to listen to a tune off The Fighter. This is Stopping on a Dime off the album The Fighter.
1: I've been stopping on a dime I've been living on the line The pain I've felt has made me reconsider. How I treat you so unkind. Glad you stopped to let me know. Instead of just letting me go. You gave me a time to wrestle with my demons. And let the love inside me grow. Make me laugh. Make me crazy. Wondering what I'm supposed to do. Make me lost, make me lazy, make me anything for you This old world has got me down, something strange is going round People live in fear of one another, hate is making us all weak And I gotta let you know I struggle with the undertow I won't let fear drag me to the bottom There's so many other ways to go Make me laugh
0: Hopping on a Dime, The Fighter is the Album, Jay Williams, the artist, available now on all streaming platforms. Beautiful tune, it's a beautiful record, and this conversation was super inspiring. Um, Going through it, if you find yourself interested in some of Jeremy's roots, uh, he talks about studying with Kenny Werner, and I interviewed Kenny a few months ago, so if you want to dive more into the effortless mastery stuff we were talking about. There's a whole podcast on that, so check that one out. But these stories get crazy, like hanging out with Femi Cootie, hanging out with uh, Ornette Coleman. Like, this is a really exciting and and inspiring conversation, and I'm super stoked to share it with you guys. Before we get to that, if you can like, rate, review the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Jeremy and sharing their insights with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeremy J. Wilms. Like, I'm like... I, I don't even know where to start because it's so everywhere. <laughs> like yeah, I know I, and that that
2: is that's uh, like I'm happy with it, but that can also be a, uh, you know, it's a it's a it can be detrimental as well <laughs> a lot of ways.
0: But you know like that's that's success being able to do whatever and find all these different outlets because you can't stick with one thing. and I'm sure you know that more than anybody. Um, so I guess I kind of want to trace some of the origin to, to songwriting. Um, so did you like, what is guitar your main, has that always been your main mode? Um, you know, I
2: started when I, well, my dad was kind of an amateur musician, I come from a long line of like frustrated musicians who, yeah. who, uh, who were really great, but, um, couldn't have a career for one reason or another. Um, so guitar's we're always around the house. So were pianos. Um, and when I was, uh, 12, I moved to Atlanta from Miami, which is where I was born. And, um, and basically I didn't, you know, it was puberty and I didn't have any friends. So I just like, you know, went straight into music. And the first thing I did was play bass actually. Um, you know, as far as like being in bands with kids, cause you know, even as this has been a story of my entire career, everyone needs a bass player. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) No, No one wants to be that guy, you know, that person. So, um, that was kind of my first thing, you know, just to kind of get into the social aspect of music. And I played in kind of like, you know, bands that were, uh, you know we were doing like r e m and you know led zeppelin like all covers you know like zeppelin r e m all kinds of stuff uh, u2 and whatever was you know sort of happening then and um and then what happened was i wound up kind of teaching the guitar player in the band his parts cuz he couldn't really he didn't really have it together um and so i kind of switched over to guitar and by the time i was 15 i was um you know sort of playing in bands with much older kids and um you know playing at college frat houses and stuff like that on the weekend and and uh and yeah i i I was friends with some kids in high school who were really into you know some for some reason they were really into like folk stuff like woody guthrie and and uh bob dylan and we would listen to like blind lemon jefferson records and stuff like that and that's kind of what got me into it um yeah, you know, and yeah, it was at that point I was like hundred percent guitar. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha.
0: Was it? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, I, I yeah, I just had this conversation last night because I've also run sound at a venue. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, no, um, we
2: got a lot of stuff in common. We got a lot, <laughs> like a lot of just uh, you know yeah i got it i
0: can yep all of that <laughs> well that's what, when i was reading i'm like i think i'm gonna be fine with this guy he's cool yeah um uh, yeah. but i was talking with this uh this guy had a um at this gig last night running sound for him and he was a bass player and he's like yeah i started on guitar and i i found when i went to college for a uh, jazz guitar i played more bass in ensembles and i find that doing that playing bass in a band even though if it's not your main instrument kind of gives you that perspective to and in your case you're flopping that perspective teaching the guitar guy but you know i mean like gives you that perspective of how a groove and a song can be structured
2: absolutely teaches you the foundation really and also it teaches you like you know like it teaches you the concept of oh this thing that no one notices is really the thing that's holding everything together you know like really as a bass player you kind of don't want to be noticed I mean unless you're like Les Claypool or something that would not my my vibe I mean I love that dude I love what he does but that's not that's not how I view bass playing um so it teaches you that in a weird way it's like I didn't realize this but a lot of that It teaches you a lot about orchestration early on, just kind of, you know, about everyone's function and what, 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 how the parts work together, as opposed to, you know, this is my part and I'm going to be in front and everyone's going to hear me and see me, you know, it's like, you're more in the background kind of making things happen.
0: It's like an early kind of humbling, uh, experience in a way, like. To make the whole unit work, I step down.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely, absolutely, yeah, um, one hundred percent, yeah.
0: That's cool. So, okay, so as you're 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 getting into Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie, and like, uh, and that's like, what age did you say that was? Seventeen. I'd say that
2: it was around fifteen, like 15? fifteen, fifteen, sixteen. I was I was simultaneously kind of playing in these rock bands. Uh, with older kids and then the kids in my high school that were my age were kind of getting into they were either into like hardcore punk or they were into um folk or both and so i you know i was kind of uh fell in with this little group of weirdos where we didn't we didn't fit in with the metal heads we definitely didn't feel fit in with the jocks we didn't really fit in with like the hardcore like straight edge punks because so we were just in this sort of weird in between world when like punk was still you know th- this, this is this the 80s so it's like punk was still like the minutemen who skrudoo meat puppets you know it yeah. wasn't like this everything sounded like power chords you know basically with distortion um and although you did have black flag and the ramones and sex pistols and all that stuff was was they were done but they were you know in the in the consciousness but it was like punk was like not defined clearly at that point for me at least um so yeah that was that that was like around 15 years old i was kind of like getting all that stuff but like a heavy dose of sort of you know like smithsonian folkways records and all that stuff like going to the media room in the library and listening to you know like i said like blind lemon jefferson The first time i had heard like lead belly consciously was aware of it was like in my school library on a turntable with headphones you know um so that that was like kind of happening at that point sorry i kind of that kind of tangent tangented (laughs) yeah that
0: that that makes so much sense and like you're putting like it's interesting because like punk and and like folk in a way there's like this attitude that like kind of overcomes like the maybe the delivery of the performance in a way and like an attitude and like a that sticks through maybe recording quality but also, like, it's interesting, like, to tune into a song that, like, or a songwriter where all you're doing is sitting down just listening to how that works and to be, like, a musician at the time. So is that kind of, like, diving into those early folk records and, like, did that kind of open the gate where I can try to do this? I can try to write songs, or was it like, ah, fuck? How do I do this? <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: It was, it was a little bit of both. I mean, I was I had a, uh, I had like a Fostex four track, and I had some kind of like early Boss like you know synsonic drum thing. So I would like sit down and make these kind of weird demos, and I early on I just. I didn't know, like, any lyric I would write. I would just be like, this is horrible. There's no way that I am ever going to make it doing this. It's impossible. I better bet get really good. If I want to have a career in music, I better get really good at, like, guitar and bass and maybe piano and just, like, work as a sideman and I'll just pursue this, like, songwriting thing on my own, which is kind of what happened to me because I was just – I I had no idea. I mean, I was reading a lot. I was reading Kerouac and I was reading, you know, all these tons of stuff. I was really into poetry. I was reading like Allen Ginsberg and Frank O'Hara and all this stuff as a teenager. But anytime I'd sit down and try to write a lyric, it would just be pathetic. Like so many things about, you know, why the girl in my class didn't like me or what it was just terrible, terrible, terrible songwriting, you know? Um, so I, I, you know, that was kind of my first thing of songwriting, but I did, but I did know that I could get with people and write like melodies and song, you know, chords and melodies with people and they could come up with the words. And so I did, I had a little thing with like a couple other guys, kind of like little folk, trio where they would they would basically sing and me and one of the guys would play guitar um and and write songs together uh but i i yeah i mean when i when at first i was just the whole idea of writing lyrics was like maybe the most intimidating thing like far more intimidating than than learning how to actually play guitar you know
0: right right but you know a g chord sounds like a g chord or it doesn't you know what i mean like it's a yeah I know how to do this right when it's like something as vague as lyrics. You can, like, I'm just even with the handful of like uh songwriters you mentioned, like Woody Guthrie's got a song, the, the beep beep, get in my car, car. You know, what I mean, what the, what the fuck is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but at the same time, he's one of the most profound uh songwriters, so it's like it's a weird balance of what works, what does, you know, that's so vague, and that that in itself is very intimidating and like yeah yeah i get that
2: yeah Uh, yeah i mean listening to bob dylan and the beatles you know it's like the but you don't realize as a kid like how high that bar is you know and like you know so instead of me comparing myself to like you know and even you know bob mold to me was like someone that i could like grasp a little closer but anytime i would try to write like You know, something that was like a Husker Du song, it would come out just sounding like I was just the most pathetic human being ever. You know, I just, I, I just, I didn't have that confidence in the song, in the lyric writing, so I kind of kept it, kept it under wraps for, for you know, quite, quite some time. Um, Every once in a while, I would like, you know, bust out a cover or something with, with some people, you know, around, but usually I would just you know keep the songwriting thing under <laughs> under wraps for a while.
0: It's okay. That's interesting that at that age you're like I just got to get really good at these other things and like cuz that's such a kind of mature like mode to switch, you know what I mean? Like I think back when I was what you said this is like 17 you said.
2: <laughs> like- yeah, like yeah, in that in that age, like even before then maybe yeah. like between 15 and 16. Like by the time I was 17 I I was I kind of set myself on a path, but yeah, on a path. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was
0: like, I putting myself in that spot when I was at it. I was grinding my head on the wall, trying to write and sing and do all this stuff, and then like trying to figure out what to go to school for. So I admire that clarity. <laughs> like, yeah,
2: I mean, I had a the the I had like a you know without getting too much into off, you know off the beaten path, but like I had the the move from the move to Atlanta kind of like really rocked me so I had um like I had a pretty rough kind of as most kids do but like a you know pretty rough like middle school high school early high school thing and by the time I was 15 I knew like I had gotten in a lot of trouble and all this stuff had happened I knew by the time I was really 16 I knew that if I there wasn't really very much that I was interested in other than music and I knew that if I wanted to make a go for it you know and luckily i had you know my dad had sort of been through a similar thing and kind of went the other direction became an engineer and his dad had you know was training to be an opera singer and world war ii kind of messed that all up And because my my you know they're from my dad's side of the family's from germany so he um so i kind of had this perspective from my dad where it was like hey you know you can do this but you're going to need to like work really hard at it. And so I just sort of barreled down and I was very interested in guitar too. You know, I was like super into Hendrix and then my dad was kind of a jazz head. So I just was kind of absorbing a lot of stuff. And by the time I was 16, I was kind of into, you know, Herb Ellis and Joe Pass and those guys. And I, I just happened to get a good teacher kind of, you know, helped me with my reading and, all that stuff and so i went on that path a little bit and um you know pretty focused on guitar although with like a little bit of uh piano sort of it thrown in the mix just for theory and stuff like that um and that's kind of like what sent me into this kind of trajectory towards being like a working musician because i knew like what i wanted to do was kind of write songs have my own band do all this stuff but i knew if, i knew that I first and foremost, I wanted to play music, you know, and I wanted to see what that life was, you know? And so that's, that's kind of how I, how, how I sort of like wound up keeping the songwriter thing almost as like, you know, my hobby away from my day job.
0: you know, <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I totally get that. Like, because it's two different worlds, right? When you like the academic route and the kind of like, uh, that, that leads to like teaching gigs and pit gigs and like reading, like when you're going off the chart gigs, you know, like serious mm-hmm. musician gigs, like, um, it's a completely different route than the punk rock band playing in the clubs. You know what I mean? It's, it's two completely different worlds kind of, um, ebb and flowing between each other. Um, how did it, did you, how did the reading go for you? Cause as a guitar player, <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, no, and now like I having worked... struggles, <laughs> yeah now having the perspective it's a ridiculous thing like reading on guitar is so stupid you know I, I i play all these different instruments now and it's like every single i don't play really any wind instruments although i can kind of you know get around on a saxophone a little bit but every single instrument that i've ever played other than guitar it's like oh this is the system the system is set this way like you're playing violin or mandolin or or cello. It's like, oh, it's in fifths. There's four strings. There's nothing, everything's in fifths. It's only four strings. It's like your brain can handle that. Piano, it's like, oh, there's one middle C, right? Okay. Guitar, you have like, you know, there's like four places to play middle C and depending on where you're going, you have to be looking ahead, like several measures to know where, what position your hand should be. It's just a nightmare, you know, it's a nightmare. (laughs) And I I kind of, yeah, I got good enough to like fake my way through, you know, my first year in undergraduate school. And then I, then I had a teacher that kind of kicked my butt and I, Mm -hmm. you know, I got better at, at sight reading and, and, but one thing that I realized it was that it was way easier to read bass than it was to read, you know, you basically get, get your rhythms down and then you have, it's like, you're generally going to be within at most a three octave range it's again it's all in fourths there's no like third thrown into the mix you know and if you need to like switch positions it's since you're not you don't you have this generally people are writing stuff for bass in a way more limited range so it's just like i found that that kind of is what uh so when i moved to new york um after i finished my undergraduate program and at Georgia state, I moved to New York and, um, and just a me, imme- I lived in a house where there was an upright bass, and I just immediately started practicing that, you know, I was in a, a house with a bunch of musicians and it was just like gigs just fell into my lap. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like, there it is you know that's that's it and and the when you you you're talking about just real quick you're talking about the punk rock world being completely different the weirdest thing that happened to me when i first got there is i sort of fell into a, a, a kind of scene of like really of like songwriters but they were sort of tied into like the kind of sonic youth world um and um Steve Shelley had like a label at that point called Smells Like Records and he had a bunch of artists and it was I had this weird, unique kind of set of skills where I'd kind of come out of this punk rock thing. But I also had an education. So I was some of the artists wanted things like horn arrangements on their records or wanted, you know, keyboards on their record or one or even just like one of the singers um, you know, did a bunch of multi-tracking and couldn't figure out which harmonies were working and which weren't. And I, I could go in and and kind of go through that stuff. So I had this weird set of skills where I was like in with a crowd of people that needed someone like me to help kind of organize and sort of arrange and do things like that. And that was that was kind of an interesting thing that happened to me when I first got to New York. And then I was just playing and then when the bands would play live i'd be playing bass you know i'd always always be the bass player you know in in all of these situations and i was just like hey number one goal is to work in in music and and make a living in new york city where all this cool stuff is happening and make a living at music and you know that's how i did it
0: that's uh, that's uh, that's incredible because like you think like i totally like the, the the voice leading classes are now paying off. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. I can, no,
2: total. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and
2: that even later, not to jump ahead, but later when I did my graduate degree and I was, you know, halfway through it, I was like, what am I getting this masters for? And it's like I'm basically like gonna be in the same position. But what I I wound up doing a lot of um sort of Uh, transcribing at first and then sort of like rearranging so people would do a recording that would have like you know 10 horns on it or something they'd be like yeah I have a sax trombone and a trumpet and I need to do this live and I would go in and do a lot of that kind of arranging I would also transcribe I worked for a kind of successful bass player who's now out in LA and I had to transcribe you know Danny Elfman uh, soundtrack stuff from you know all of his movies for like um you know for like a 10 piece kind of rock band with a couple horns and it was basically like for danny elfin yeah you know, the guy yeah. was danny elfin's music director so it was like i so all those skills you're like why am i doing this and then you're like oh this is why i'm doing this because i can do this kind of stuff that other people can't do even the people that have the gigs can't necessarily do that work you know it's kind of rarefied in a weird in a weird way
0: no, definitely. Like, that's like, like, the, that's the trusting of that process, like the ear training, the, the, the harmony classes you take, you know, or, um, I don't know what they call them for you, but you know what I mean? Like the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like learning all those, like those core skills that are very jarring at first and very kind of aloof, you know, like, I don't get what this means, but when you, in those situations, you're like, Oh my God. I know something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I can do this. <laughs> and like it's an interesting like uh that's like the most like kind of like ideal like situation like that whole like cuz not only are you doing the real like uh academic kind of like gigs you get through that but you're also doing the cool punk rock gigs because they don't know what to do and they know you you know what i mean like yeah
2: yeah it's, it's like yeah.
0: The, the perfect balance of of musical outlets in those ways that's so cool
2: yeah it was great it was kind of it was i, I feel super lucky when i'm you know just even having this conversation i'm like oh that that was I, you know it's like that that was a long time ago so i kind of like put that away you know somewhere but yeah
0: um, yeah, man. And, go so, ahead. Uh, like that's uh, uh, with like with with going through. So you went through with a master's program, yeah?
2: Yeah, I did okay. a master's at uh at Queens College up in New York. Uh, CUNY, it's uh, City University. It's um, and I did the kind of jazz composition thing there. Actually, uh, yeah, that's where that's so it's uh Michael Mossman was my uh you know my my like pr- like one on one um like lessons teacher, but uh, studied with like David Berkman and um, he's kind of the harmony guy there. He's like the head of the program and a bunch of other really great people took like all the classical counterpoint classes with like the woman that's been there since, you know, 1865 or whatever. she's like 4,000 years old or something. Uh, But uh, yeah, no, I did all, I did that, 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 and I did that much later. I did that kind of after I had had, a pretty full career and basically had a i had a kid and when i had the kid i was like mm, maybe i should stop touring six or seven or eight or nine months out of the year and uh you know and start teaching or something like that so that's oh, that's one okay
0: okay <laughs> i was gonna say because like like through the like th- going through through school there's kind of like at least for me i felt like this kind of like like this trajectory, even if the gigs and every offer I had outside of school was like sporadic and different and always changing, I always kind of enjoyed having to shed on whatever, you know, always being exhausted in that sense of having to yeah. learn something very quickly. So that it's uh-huh. like that weird, like process you get into when you're like in schooling, like and you're really grinding and trying to get it all down, and you have to know this by next week, and ah, like as yeah. stressful as that is, that's like a there's a, a tense, uh, like the, the drums in tune when you're that stress, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. The, so there's a certain thing to that. And I was going to ask, was that kind of the, uh, one of the motivators for it? But I think what you just said, answered that question. So.
2: Yeah. 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 No, it's, I had a weird, I, my thing was just kind of different cause I, I hit New York and I kind of, I was studying when I first got there. I was studying with Kenny Werner. So I was oh, going no out. To, yeah. I, I talked was, with him not
0: too long ago.
2: Oh, man, he's he's amazing. I haven't talked to him in probably a decade, but, um, you know, he was really I mean, actually just tying that whole thing of like music education thing and then the songwriting thing. And like he was super, you know, even though I was studying kind of jazz stuff with him, he was like as important as anyone in me kind of pursuing the songwriting stuff, because I would go over there and he'd be like he'd be like, man world doesn't need any more jazz musicians really like it just doesn't like what are you like what's your thing you know what's your thing what is your thing and and like shortly after that i started writing kind of my first batch of songs um that that wound up being kind of the first record that i just did everything myself um on and uh you know and like yeah it it was it was kind of a big big thing um but yeah yeah, but I got up there and I kind of was working right away. I was like in a really kind of magical place at a magical time. I feel like in retrospect, retrospect I was in, you know, moved to Williamsburg in the late 90s because that's when Williamsburg was super cheap and like a little bit dicey and you could have an apartment with two or three other musicians and play music all night. And it was like cool, you know, and a lot of people were doing that. So I kind of fell in with some... People that wound up going on to do, you know, some pretty big stuff, basically, and kind of benefited from it.
0: That's well, just you know, being out there and doing it is so much. Like, that's one thing I kind of noticed with my schooling. There was like a lot of people that were doing the schooling part, but not doing the crazy kind of musician by chance part. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta go out there and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta mingle and you gotta go fail and you gotta like. Do that like uphill battle punk rock stuff for it all to like magically kind of meld together somehow. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely, a hundred percent. How did so that's that's fascinating. Was Kenny like doing the uh, effortless mastery stuff when you were studying? Yeah, was, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: So I met him. He came down to Atlanta and did. I was a senior, and he he basically did kind of like a residency and so you a few students got to just do one-on-ones for like a couple of weeks with him which and I was one of them and then and he I was just like yeah you know he's like man the thing that's going to make you better is moving to New York basically he's like he's like you got to you got to like this place has some really great musicians but you basically know them all and play with them all already and like you go to New York and it's like that type of musician times like you know a hundred or four hundred you know it's just like there there are just so many of them everywhere all the time that just the bar is higher um, so so that was uh that was like basically um how it happened then he and he was like yeah come to new york you can study with me and I, it was super casual i was like okay and you know i graduated and six months later put all my stuff in a u-haul went up there called him i was like i'm here and he's like who are you <laughs> 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 uh, but he, he did remember me though yeah. and, and, you know, and then i studied with him for about a year at the time, like Chris Potter was studying with all these like people that went on to be just like the geniuses of the geniuses were like showing up at his place, you know. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty awesome.
0: But so like, I mean, aside from like kind of like <laughs> like uh the effortless mastery, kind of like big brain, were you guys like working on like harmonies? Like what were like or studying like yeah. how, Like was it what was the initial like in before? It was mostly like
2: uh, it was mostly effort effortless mastery. on okay, honest, okay. that was mostly mostly what we did. We kind of played at the end of the lesson. We would play, you know, just play. And it was usually just you know, it wasn't really like try this voicing or try that voicing. It was just more like him playing stuff and me trying to absorb it and it being way over my head, you know, yeah. way over my head. I mean, I remember him playing having a full conversation with me while he was playing giant steps super fast. And then the the conversation, he was like, now I'm going to play the entire form backwards, which he did. He played the entire form backwards, the chords backwards from the end of the song to the beginning of the song. And it was, and I, and the whole time, like just talking to me, like about nothing, you know, about whatever. Um, like the guy's just out of his mind completely. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. It's like at that time, this is another tangent, but at that time, I also was, um, Eric Reed was kind of on the scene. And there were these small gigs that, you know, like in these little bars. There's a place called Jewels in the East Village. And he kind of played with this saxophonist that I knew and, you know, who hired him. And Eric Reed was like way over his head. And he was doing that too. They were basically like, inverting giant steps like playing it they would play it one time through the form forward one time through the form backwards and then keep flip-flopping like that (laughs) it's 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 really funny man and it's funny because this is you know i'm talking 24 25 years ago and just like this past year i started working on my own version it's like things that i heard in new york in like you know, the late 90s or very early 2000s, like before 2000, you know, like they're around 2000, 99, 2000. It's like those things, I'm like, oh yeah, now I can work on that. <laughs> like 25 years, it took me 25 years to get there, you know, like mentally. But um, yeah, it's kind of, is it's pretty, pretty wild stuff, man. That's like,
0: that's crazy. That's like, it's really interesting because like, I like I was saying I, I read all this stuff years ago and then the new we came out with another book so I, and like I dove into both and yeah, I it got I was lucky to get some time with them and do a, a sit down like this. And like mm-hmm. did like that whole like process of trying to like absorb something, you know, like that whole technique of that, like so hard. <laughs> like it's, yeah, yeah. But it's so easy at the same time. It's like ah <laughs>
2: Well, the hard part of it for me, and this is this kind of goes into the songwriting thing, too, is like the sort of patience that it takes. To just like a um, big thing he said to me. And this goes back to what I was saying about early on me being like, oh, I suck at this. I, I'm going to not pursue this right now. Um, there's the thing he's like, he's like, yeah, you got to. I remember distinctly him saying, like, you got to be OK with sounding like shit. You got to be OK with sucking just suck. It's okay to suck. It's fine to suck. And I was just, I was like, Whoa, okay. And, but that's kind of it. Cause you just gotta, in a lot of ways, like sit, sit through it and kind of face yourself, you know, over and over and over again, sit through it and face yourself, sit through it and have patience and some sort of weird faith. Like you can't just be like blindly practicing, Stuff that is not going anywhere, but you also have to have faith that if you're doing it, you know, doing it in from the right place that you're going to you're going to get there eventually, you know, you're right. going to get or you're going to get maybe not where you thought you were going, but to where you need to be, you know, yeah, it's that's kind of that's kind of thing and and that that's like what i was talking about about him saying you know there are enough jazz musicians like what are you trying to do it's taken me you know it's like this is a that is more, the more important thing than playing like giant steps at 240 bpm backwards you know it's, it's like it's more important to be like oh kenny warner and eric reed can do that but like you know I can do this thing. And there's this whole part of my, I didn't grow up, you know, going to see the Vanguard big band as a, as a kid, you know, and like, I didn't grow up in that culture, but I grew up in this culture. And that is something it's like, it's funny. I feel like the jazz education world can be so, you know, daunting because it it does come into this thing of like, there's one way to do it. And it's now basically become like, classical music where it's like if you don't have this kind of codified level of technical expertise then you're just you can't even you're just not even in the game it's more like sport in a weird way it's more like sports than music in a lot of ways to me and 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 not that I don't enjoy people seeing people do something on a super high level and not that I haven't at times worked really hard and achieved like some version for my own you know of that for myself and performed in that way and gotten that high but it is it is kind of this like you know it does kind of it can mess with people you know because yeah, it can yeah. make you feel like you're not adequate or you don't have something to offer because you can't because it's not an easy thing, like not everyone can be LeBron James, you know, <laughs> not everyone can be you know, not everyone can be I don't know, whoever Kenny Garrett, you know, it's just like some people are just like that, and it's sort of an unrealistic onus to put on yourself to say, like, you know, I have to be able to do that, um you know what what you have to be able to do is figure out like what you do, right. you know what, yeah. what what you have to offer, you know.
0: I think that's well said and like it's the the takeaway of any of any of those endeavors is what you can do with it or what you can't do with it. You know what I mean like how does this apply to me? And that's such a hard lesson to learn. You know that's that's lifetimes of going up there and trying and fucking it up and trying to like recover and it's it's interesting how emotionally attached it is to yourself. You know what I mean like oh, yeah. I can't hang on giant steps ah but yeah and yeah. I really what you pointed out there is like, that wasn't kind of what you grew up around. You didn't grow up around giant steps in the house. You know, you grew up around something else and like we grow to appreciate giant steps and like, um, but also all of, all of that kind of makes me think of the narrative of the fighter in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's,
2: that's a lot of it is what it's about is, um, is just I, yeah. I mean, you know, what happened to me is, is it probably wouldn't have happened in a way if the pandemic hadn't, well, it definitely wouldn't have happened if the pandemic hadn't happened, not in the way it did. Um, you know, it was like, uh, it was basically I was kind of getting to the point in New York where things were just getting, it was just getting too expensive and too hard to live. I had some good, really good steady gigs for a long time. And I had one even when the pandemic hit and, um, and I had good touring gigs and I was in a scene that like a lot of the people that I was working with then are now back at it and kind of doing the same stuff. And, you know, but I also had a kid and I also was like, basically kind of fulfilling other people's artistic visions, mostly like 90% of my stuff of my gigs and my, and my work was like someone else's thing. And, and in order to make a living, like a lot of those things were like, basically kind of commercial things, even though they might've been artist really artsy versions of that. Um, and yeah, man, I was just, I was struggling with that. I was struggling with that. Like every single day I was just like, what am I doing? Going to this gig? Like, is this the gig I want to be playing? Do I want to be 60 years old and like getting on the subway with my, you know, my little lunchbox amp and my, you know, telly and like a pedal board and going to, a gig with some singer, you know, at a theater, like, do I want to be doing this? Do I want to be like hustling for a Broadway gig, which I don't even like music, musical theater specifically, you know, it's yeah. like, do I want to be doing like, and I was having that whole thing happen and it was just like, boom, the pandemic happened. Um, I started, even while we were in New York, I just started playing mandolin all the time in the apartment Um, I quit practicing jazz (laughs) completely. I quit practicing, uh, you know, like I quit learning tunes for singers every week. I quit doing all that stuff. And I just started like playing music that I wanted to play. And I was basically gravitating towards, you know, towards the piano and the guitar and the mandolin. But like in more of a, in a way more like simple fashion and then when we we had to bug out because basically our our neighborhood got hit really bad two people in our building died my kid didn't leave the apartment for like two months um it was it was terrible it was like terrible and my parents you know still are in the house that i was in when i went to high school so we basically just came down to atlanta to like just have a backyard for my kid to go outside you know we drove we drove down because we were like i'm not gonna fly and And it was like within a week of we were like, I don't know how long we'll stay down here, but we'll just stay down here for a while. Then a week of being down there, we were just like, let's get out of here. And I had been kind of looking into it. My wife and I had sort of been thinking about it. And so once we kind of decided and we sort of like went back to New York, packed up the apartment and then came back down sort of finally, um, then I started just going on these like long walks every day you know because it was pandemic there's n- no work or anything and i was just going on long walks long walks and i just was writing songs in my head really <laughs> you know yeah. and and they were mostly about like these things like like kind of like struggles both in relationships and and you know and it was just like these themes kind of kept coming up in my head, I, and I basically kind of, um, you know, we wound up getting getting into our own place, and after a couple months, and uh, and you know, it just continued, like basically that kind of songwriting where I wasn't really even sitting at an instrument, and I was just like hearing melodies and kind of like writing the words as I was walking in my head, and I was as as I was doing that, at some point I had like. At some point I had way more tunes than made it on the record. I had like 12 or 13 tunes all in my head, um, like full, full, like the chords. The, yeah. You know, it's not, like, it's not like it's not like I was writing a symphony. You know, they're all like cowboy chords or whatever. But, you know, yeah, but like completely conceived um, and written in my head. And then uh, and then I kind of sat down, demoed a few of them. And I had met a really great drummer um, down here through a friend of mine and, uh, sort of connected with him and, and, uh, you know, he's up in Athens and that's kind of how it all sort of fell into place. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like this, the, the fighter, the song itself is sort of like a, sort of like a love song, but it's also about kind of, you know, just kind of getting through all this stuff all the time and then figuring out, you know, like, Oh, I've been like beating my head against the wall for 25 years. What am I doing? You know, not that not that I regret any of it, or I would do any of it differently, but it's like, Oh, I don't have to do that. You know, I don't have to like beat myself up to get where I want to be, you know? Um, and, and, you know, it's like the song. So that song has that, it, uh, it's, by the way, just, you know, just cut me off if I'm like, no, just this rent. is
0: like, I th- it tied in really nicely to like that whole narrative is right there. Like when I was listening to the fighter, I was like going through, like, especially the song. Um, I was like, I understand the struggle of trying to get that whatever out, you know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Yeah yeah i mean that that that's kind of like i mean that's kind of why name in the record like it's 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 i li- I like that song and i love the recording it's not it's not my favorite song on the record but i was like this but it also i feel like it, it like encapsulates kind of a lot of what is going on um and then the other one that kind of is You know, like that really sort of on this to me, like in a in a direct way as all the roads, which is that song was kind of the the final chorus, the one that repeats, which is like, you know, uh, may all the roads, may all the dream, all your dreams serve as a reminder of who you are, may all the roads, you know, take you where you're going. But not too far. That chorus, I was so it was the day that Thich Nhat Han, the Zen Buddhist uh, guy, it was the day he died. So I guess that's about maybe a year and a half ago or so, two years ago maybe. Um, Is like the day he died. I went to sleep that night and I woke up the next morning with that chorus, just like, and I'd been reading a lot about him and all that stuff. And that chorus was just like cycling through my head with the chords, the whole thing. And I immediately like went downstairs to the piano, like sang it, and played it, you know, it took me a couple minutes to figure out what it was and then um, record voice memoed it. And then later that day, I like went for a jog and the rest of the song, like most of the lyrics and the rest of the song were kind of there, you know, it wasn't like a hundred percent, but it was like the gist like the story of just kind of going on this journey kind of separating from who you started with or, you know, conceptually who you started with, not necessarily a person, but, like, yourself, maybe. You separate from that, you kind of get lost, and then you come back together, and you realize that, you know, you've been there the whole time. But it, it, that that was kind of like, you know, that's kind of what that song's, that's that's how that song happened.
0: It's interesting, too, after years of, like, Shedding on all the technicalities of music and like it, what it like how it how it boils up in your head. Right. Like when you get like a hook like that or an idea or a song seed, as some people call it, just like that little like, OK, this is the payoff. How do I build everything up in this song to say this, you know, and like but how it, even though it took forever to get to this point, how great is it that now it can just like kind of percolate in your brain? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then yeah, just man. spill out. I mean,
2: dreams are like, you know, and I, I want to be able to tap in without being like, uh, you know, without getting too like new agey on it, but like dreams are just incredible, man. And it's like, I want to be able to like, I can't, I can't willfully do that. And it's only happened to me a couple of times, but like, there's something about like processing information Going to sleep, and and working on it while you're sleeping, and I mean, there that's a real thing because I know it because it's happened to me. But I can't will, willfully make that happen. I know some people claim they can, um, but that to me is like, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's once that's once that song happened, that's when I was like, oh, this needs to be like I need to make like a real record, like not just record stuff in my room, you know, yeah. but like, yeah, everything's good. We have a, you know, holiday, yeah. holiday chaos is ensuing already. So I feel it. I feel
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. The kids I work with, they go crazy at this time. Um, yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure they're like about to be free. <laughs> well, it's, oh, for, for them, it's like breaks. Any change yeah. in the schedule. <laughs> Oh yeah. 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 Um, I had a friend,
2: this is a total uh, aside, but my, this, I had a friend in New York. I'm not really close to him. You know, he's more like an acquaintance. We played some music, but he's a great, great jazz drummer, like kind of like really avant-garde out of Boston, but moved to New York. His name's Randy Peterson. He was like, played with uh, Matt Maneri and all that whole gr- group of like microtonal musicians from um, like uh, new England conservatory and all that. But he, that's, that's what he did in New York. He would, uh, his day job was he, he taught, he basically was kind of like a, like a teacher slash therapist and yeah. integrate music into it with like uh, kids with like high, high level of autism and, burgers and all those th- those kinds of issues. Um, but yeah, it was very intense.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I that sounds like my If I had to write down my job, that's basically what it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, um, man, good, like, thank, thank, thanks for you,
0: <laughs> thanks that for you like? man. Like, but, <laughs> but to kind of relate all that to what you just said, like, the part of what makes me like able to do any of that stuff I do is having that same type of outlet that you've come to too. Like having this, these bits and these, like this, this outlet to write songs and go perform them and record them and like kind of try to make, make these like this, this, this tangible thing you can chase, which is ultimately like your self-expression, you know? And to kind of go back to what we were talking about before, it's like you go through years of studying all this stuff to be able to do that or or to to find success and say, at the very beginning, I feel like it's like, I want to do music because I can express myself. And that'd be sweet if this is all I had to do. And then you get right, in this right. rabbit hole of like, well, if I got to do that, I got to be able to do pit gigs. I got to be able to do uh, Broadway shows and all these stuff you don't like, but you can respect. And you know, if you do that, you got that like notch in the belt of like successful musician. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah,
2: totally, totally.
0: One thing I want And to it com-
2: becomes your it becomes your identity. Yeah. And if you fail if you fail at
0: any of it, you're like,
2: I'm a loser. Right. Right. Well then it goes back to the
0: whole Kenny Warner, like like you judge yeah. yourself via this stuff you don't care about. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally, hundred percent, man. Um but the one thing I wanted to even through all that, you had a couple really cool like as far as like Broadway shows, like doing the fella show. Like, if you had to do one, that's sick, man.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was, again, man, this is like the magic. Like, I didn't really want to get too much into this because it sounds like, you know, I don't know what it sounds like. But, man, the magic of sort of place and time of moving to Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And, like, I moved there in 1996, and I lived in an apartment with a drummer. And across the street, there was, like, another drummer and a couple blocks away, there was like a house of musicians and like all, and then, and then down the street, there was like a garage that another dude rented and all these people, they were like people in the band and a lot of them were in Antibales. Um A lot of them wound up being in uh, TV on the radio, like um, the yeah, yeah, yeahs, like Interpol, all those, all this music stuff was happening in like a, like a, five to ten block radius in Williamsburg and I just happened to move in with this drummer I didn't know that's what it was about so we were in this building and we um the building that everyone was cool we had one neighbor in a store downstairs and neighbors were young and they were cool and so we would have these like all night parties with musicians coming through and like people you know that people that wound up being in like kind of really big successful bands in that early 2000s kind of rolled through. And I met a lot of people, but the probably the most important two people I met at that time were one is this guy named um, Aaron Johnson, who's now his day job. He works for the knitting factory management. He's basically a, a manager uh, of a bunch of uh, acts um, like uh, Saul Williams and like, oh, no you know, of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kendra Morris, who's a great singer, and a bunch of other people too. The Ghost Note, I think he's doing now. He's got, but he was the, he's a trombonist, and he was the music director of Antibalas, like at that point. And he and I did, like, my first gig that I got, I got right away when I moved to New York, and it was touring with this Canadian kind of rockabilly guy and Aaron was a trombone player so I met him immediately and then, and then he's like oh I live across the street from you I was like oh damn then the drummer from Antibalas was across the street from me and that's how they they kind of hooked up and then I wound up kind of like over the years subbing in Antibalas all the time which is an afrobeat band um, it was kind of the first of the kind of like not really fail at tribute bands that it was actually a kind of their own afrobeat thing but it was the one that spawned like all of these other bands. So there was no one else doing that. No one really knew who Fela was even at that point in you know in America very much. Um, you know, it's like 90, this is like right after Fela died, pretty much. He died. Um, and so it uh, I kind of started subbing in that band and then because um, I could play a bunch of different things. I played percussion sometimes, I played guitar, I played bass, and I would be like the guy that would just like, oh, so the bass player is sick tonight and they had a steady weekly gig. So I'd go s- sit in or sub or whatever, met so many people, like just even people still to this day that my career is sort of based on. I met through doing that. And, um and yeah, man. So that led to being an anti-ballist was basically when they were t- making, deciding to make this play about Fela. They contacted Fela's old manager, Ricky Steen, who's a English guy And they were like, yeah, we're going to do this play. Like, who do we get to do the music? And he was just like, well, you're in New York. You got to get Ballas. That's the only band that will do it. So there was one sort of pre-production version of that that I was not in because I wasn't like technically in the band. I was sort of an auxiliary member. And then the second version, like off, off, off Broadway, I was there. And so I was playing guitar and keyboards. And then I just... Then they the, what they wound up doing is the band sort of expanded. They basically had, you know the band was like 11 to 13 pieces live. they basically had like 16 to eighteen people by the time the failout thing was going I mean, the failout thing was going, so they could separate the band. They could basically be like, "Okay, who wants to stay in New York and who wants to keep touring?" And they would um, kind of hire auxiliary members. And so I was in from kind of the ground. Cause like, I'm not a Broadway guy. None of us were, we were just hired cause we knew Fela's music, you know, yeah. which is like, I mean, and again, talking about the shit being kind of magical, like I would never have gotten a Broadway gig because I would never go and sit through that kind of schlock and yeah. learn that kind of, like, I don't care. And like, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's, that, it's yeah. just, let's put it this way. It's just aesthetically challenging to me. Like even, even when people are like, oh, Hamilton, it's so good. I'd like, I'm like, i like, okay, I'll give this a chance. I listen to it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is the most awful shit. <laughs> like, to me, like, aesthetically, to me, it's horrendous, you know? Um, I, get it, but, I get it. So I would have never gotten a Broadway gig, but I got to do this, and I, I got to actually, like, contribute a bit, and I – did some copy. I learned how to kind of be a better copyist because I helped out with the copyist work. Um, I, you know, I had to learn, So I got all these skills from having this gig and that was like, it started around 2010, I think, or 20, no, no, it started around 2008, the kind of off, off Broadway stuff. The Broadway run was like two years starting in 2010. Um, and then uh and then it toured for like several years i left the tour kind of early because uh my I, I had an injury and then my wife got pregnant and um so i kind of stopped doing it but they still the band that did that broadway show they still play as a band they're basically like a failout tribute band now mm-hmm. They still play it's crazy so like yeah that was you know again that was like the magic of Kind of right place at the right time and also being totally open you know i was very young i was able to i just kind of rents were cheap in brooklyn my rent was like 375 bucks a month so i could just kind of i did some other odd jobs but i mostly could just play music um and you know i was able to be out all the time. I was out every night either playing or seeing a band playing you know um it was just kind of a, a, and, you know, and I was in the right place for it. And so that, you know, I got lucky with the, with the Broadway thing, you know, it was, it was, I would have never had a Broadway gig, but that enabled me to kind of move out of like gig to gig lifestyle, you yeah. know?
0: Yeah. That's well. also go back to what a cool one did have like that's so oh god
2: the best man (laughs) the best dude that music is like so good i it's every time i turn it's so interesting because nothing sounds like that yeah even other no other afrobeat band sounds like that there's something just about that and you know i got to go and play in Nigeria at yeah. the shrine, you know, oh, with, shit. Whoa. Yeah, with, with that band, you know, and we played for basically for free for like thousands of Nigerians in that neighborhood. And, and when I got there and did that, I understood what <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, you can play the same riff all day because it's like 95 degrees out and completely humid. And like, there's nothing else to do and your fingers never get tired or sore. Cause you're just kind of in a sauna yeah. all the time, you know?
1: Wow.
2: Um, yeah. It was like a lot of perspective and also just like, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I could talk about the failout thing for like hours and hours. Cause there's all kinds of like social context and you know, the fact that we were like, it, uh, probably like half white band or a little less than half white band getting to go do this thing in Africa, you know, of like African music was like kind of amazing to, you know, there's like a lot of, a lot of stuff to that. I don't want to get too deep into it. Cause you know, well, go, no, it's I could it's definitely fascinating.
0: And like, and like, and it's a really, like I saw Femi at uh, the Beachland ballroom, I forget what year, maybe 2017 or 18. And like, mm-hmm. The one thing he said when he performed, he's like, "You guys have roads." <laughs> like, I yeah. forget how he he said something about someone complaining and like he's like, "But you guys have roads, you know, you don't know yeah. what you got." So like, yeah, yeah. It's but did did he? You played with him, right? He was like involved.
2: Yeah, or? he okay. yeah he can't he he came. I can't remember where it was, but he was in the states when we were playing. Oh man, I can visualize. It might've been Chicago. He played in Chicago, but he, yeah, he came and played. Um, and we also played with him in Nigeria and he, I think he came, he, you know, he would come and basically sit in with that band. So the way, when we toured with that show, we would do the whole Broadway concert. Um, not in, in Nigeria, it was totally different. It was more like just a concert, you know, Fela movie, Fela's music. Um, At the shrine. And then we did the show at a different venue, but we would often do wherever we were in the world, we would do the show and then we'd often have like a gig afterwards, you know, so like if we were sitting, if we were sitting in a place for a month, we'd play like five or six nights a week. And on, you know, every Friday we were there, we'd play at some club or some party and um you know he would come in, and sit in or play or he would come and sit in at sometimes at the end of the show in the theater we would play a few tunes you know and he would come and play like that so like it wasn't like i played in his band you know he, he came out and played with us but he's it he was we definitely hung you know
0: yeah, <laughs> so hung, cool, yeah.
2: yeah yeah it was like a lot of in in nigeria especially a lot of like super late nights just hanging and He's a really 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 awesome guy. Really sweet, nice, like, you know, just a great dude. I mean, I didn't get it's not like I'm like close to him or anything, but like, you know, it was it was it was you know, you know what it's like, man, when you're around someone when you're around someone, you're like, "Oh, this <laughs> this person's like on some other on some other level, you know, you can just feel it right away." Um yeah, it was great.
0: He's 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 awesome. That's incredible. And just like his yeah. presence is so like pronounced and like you're like whatever this dude's saying, I'm listening. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. He, yeah, he, absolutely.
2: And, like, and it always comes back to sort of like politics, basically, of what's happening. And it's always some it's some stuff that like applies globally because like Africa it's Africa is sort of like you know, people say this, Africa is the future, and you can take that in a lot of different ways but like one thing he's you know he says like people say Africa's the future they're they're meaning you know like in a positive way like oh Africa's gonna on the up and up but really you could also look at it like if we let our we don't what talking about we don't know what we have how good we have it like that's also how you let go of 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 what's happening of the political situation in your country and you allow kind of fascism to come over you allow corruption to overcome so it may be like Africa is the future like the US is going to look like Africa eventually if we don't get our shit together you know or you know that's that you could look at it in that from that perspective too like all of these things are kind of tenuous and if you don't kind of get control over the con- corruption and, and all of these things you're like headed it's a slippery slope and you might not realize it because you think you have it so good. And you also think it's always happening to other people, you know? And it's, so it's, it's like that, that kind of being in that zone that I feel like the, they are because of where they're from and what's happened to them, you know, not just their family, but their entire uh, continent and, multiple nations you know because of what's happening because of colonialism they're always there mentally you know they're he's always there that's that's the forefront of his of his thing you know as, as his vision
0: but like to be around that and just have that veil removed or or tuned in so you can see that on a very like real level and like on a way where it's like, you're working with this guy and doing all these amazing, you know what I mean? Like what a kind of mind altering, like perspective.
2: <laughs> oh, the whole oh, thing. Man. The
0: whole thing. Well, um, dude,
2: that's uh, just, you know, just uh, like on that note, yeah. Fucking hanging out with Ornette Coleman, which I did multiple times. Yeah. is oh my, oh my God. That's, that's a whole other thing. Like it, cause it's, it, it's, it's, a different version of the same thing, but man, yeah. that is like you're, you kind of enter in, it's like you're entering into a different dimension just by being around that person. <laughs> you know, it's like a really, it's a really intense vibe, yeah. you know?
0: But well, I mean, well, okay. Okay. Unpin that. Cause like, that's, <laughs> yeah.
1: well, so that like, was, what do you mean?
2: so that was also came out of the fail thing. Yeah. So he, he came to see the show And just like many other, I mean, I don't know, it's weird to call Warnett a celebrity. I wouldn't really call him a celebrity, but just like anyone else of note that would come to see the show, with the exception of like Obama, maybe, um, they they would hang out afterwards and meet some of the people. And usually if it was a musician, they'd meet the musicians, you know? And so um, a couple of guys... A couple guys in the band sort of befriended him. He's a really interesting, or he was a really interesting dude. And, you know, some people say maybe there was some sort of, like, Alzheimer's or dementia thing happening. But I think he was just always this way. Like, he was – he would – if he was walking down the street and met somebody that he thought interest was interesting, he just invite him over, you know, that's just kind of, yeah. he's very New York in that way. He's very open, very, just kind of like, Oh yeah, come, come on over, come hang. And so he invited a bunch of us over to play, which is something he always did. You know, he's always done that with all kinds of people. And, um, you know i'm not alone in having this experience i don't think it's like you know most most musicians even in new york even jazz musicians don't get this opportunity but but a lot of people do and sort of random people too just like visual artists and just like all kinds of people but he invited us over we showed up and the elevator kind of to his loft it's like you go up the elevator the doors open and it's like in his apartment so right you can't get into you can't get into the elevator unless you're like buzzed in, right? So, so we the elevator door is open. He's he's answering the door. We're all standing in the elevator. It's like three of us: bass player, myself, and trumpet player. And um, he looks at us and he says,
0: "I
1: have one question for y'all.
2: Are you free of the tonic?" And we're all. And I was just like, and just of course he's talking about music, right? Yeah. But like my mind, I'm like, does he mean are we sober? Like, what is he talking about? Like, what, what? And and then it was like we all kind of laughed, and he invited us in, and we hung out and played and you know listened to music, and he gave me his uh, half of a whopper with cheese. He's like, <laughs> oh,
1: are you? he's
2: super hosp- hospitality, like he, he just inviting everyone in offering food drink offering coca-cola and Burger King which is what he had and uh, I know it's yeah. it's absurd and then he um and then you know at some point we all kind of wandered into the little studio that he had he has like soundproof studio off of the main part of the loft and uh just started playing and I was playing uh I played bass and the bass player was playing drums because he was a good drummer and we started sort of playing and Ornette came in and we played trio for about 40 minutes or so. And he just went through, it was fucking crazy, dude. He just went through his tunes. He was playing like the Sphinx and he was playing lonely woman. And I'm you're, I'm like two and a half, three feet away from him. And the sound, it was surreal because he sounds exactly like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever said, but he s- sounds exactly like Ornette Coleman. Like, it yeah. doesn't sound like... It's like that sound that you hear on the records, that's this exact sound. It's like as if it's coming off a blue <laughs> record or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, man, it was like... Chilling, really. It was like chilling. You know, again, like it's not like I was like in his band or got a gig with him or anything like that. But I had this experience that was like, you know, just kind of circumstantial in a lot of ways. And but like also just completely like life altering, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Changed everything. Yeah. It's like it was just really wild, man. Um Yeah. So that was, that was the Ornette, the Ornette.
0: (laughs) That's, that's incredible. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Like I totally get that statement by he sounds like himself because like you listen to those records and they're so, they're so out, you know, they're so far out. You're like, can this guy repeat that? You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's incredible that the answer is yes. Like. Yeah, it is. is. Absolutely. Yes, man. And it's like, he's like exactly the same kind of,
2: a little bit sharp that he always is you know it's like Mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. it's like everything is that's when i had this realized realization not that i really needed it like but you have this realization like oh this none of this is like accidental you know this is like this is like what he means you know this is him this is sound and this is what he means it's not like I don't know. It's like this is what he means to do. Yeah, this is who he is. It's really that. It's like I guess it's just again going back to like things it's just like honest, man. It's just like straight up honesty, you know. It's it's pretty wild.
0: Well, and it's also that going back to the kind of those early lessons from Kenny like this is it. You know what I mean? Like this is the true like kind of mastery of self and like that it could be that it can be fella it could be like whatever like i don't i'd like to be around those experiences and not like be putting out like your own music like you are now i don't know how how do how one would be able to be around that much like amazing inspirational like <laughs> once in a lifetime chances and not do what you're doing now you know what i mean like that's, yeah, so, that's amazing. so amazing
2: well i, I appreciate that yeah i mean it's it's you know it's definitely like you know, it's funny because, in a way, it's like it, it. thing about it in this terms, not like I was thinking about this before, but like it, it definitely, like a lot of boxes got checked off for me, you know, in my, <laughs> yeah. in my career, you know. Um, you know, there's still things I want to do, but there, but unless it's the thing that's changed most is I'm less inclined to. Um, like seek out a good sideman gig Um, because I've, I've had, you know, the big, the big kind of jazz sideman gig was I played with Chico Hamilton. I was his guitar player for for a couple of years. He was 80 when I was in his band. So he's pretty old, but he was still playing his ass off. And like, he died at 88 Um, and I stayed in touch with him, but I actually left his band to, do the fail thing and unfortunately the whole time i was in his band it, we didn't record and right when i left and i referred a great guitarist a friend of mine named nick Demopoulos. they made a record like three months later yeah. and i was just like oh man that hurts <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but that was you know it's like you know that's that's the thing is is now now i'm just i have enough stuff of my own that i want to do you know both in the songwriting thing um you know i have a whole other like companion record that i'm going to try to do in my own place like again like all by myself um for for next year and i have i want to re-release like some of the the first jazz record i've made and a bunch of other you know i have so much stuff of my own now that i want to do that like it's not it's i'm, I'm kind of done with the that hustle and i'm fortunate that like i did a bunch of cool stuff, you know, some of which happened to me, you know, I I obviously had the skill set, but it was also circumstantial, you know, like I, plenty of people have, have some version of the skill set that I have, you know, and so I was just like lucky in a lot of ways and, you know, and and like proactive and putting myself in the right place and being on time and, you know, not being a, an asshole and all that
0: well yeah 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 and inspiration shows up if you clock in you know what i mean like if you're making time for it eventually it will find you but if you don't make time for it and if you don't do that it it, it won't happen Uh,
2: yeah absolutely uh
0: but man i really appreciate your time this has been this super (laughs) delightful conversation and the record's beautiful um One other song I wanted to mention, um, props.
2: Yeah. Props. Yep. Yep.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. Like kind of going back to like the beginning of this conversation where you're worried about not writing like impactful lyrics. I'm like that one, the payoff at the very end, it's so good. That's a, that's such a well-written song.
2: I I have to admit I stole the very last, like not word for word, but the idea for the last, uh, lyric came from this Zen master that I know. And he was talking about, you know, literally he was talking about his, he was literally talking about his house falling apart. And he was like, eh, it's, this is, you know, that's its responsibility and I just got to put it back together or something like that, something to that effect. And I was just like, Oh, that's a song lyric. Yeah. Right. There. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the very, you know, the very, the not word for word, but that concept, credit where credit is due, we'll give it to, uh, you know, Soto Zen Buddhism.
0: <laughs> but you know, like it's as the songwriter, it's your job to prop the idea up, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and like, yeah. even if it comes from everything, comes from external, you know, it's the Joe Strummer input output theory, we take in yep. the put out, you know, and either way, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an incredible song, it's an incredible record. Um, I really appreciate your time, man. Um, before we're kind of yeah. splitting, is there anything else you want to plug? Oh, man, I, I've talked your ear off. Oh no, um, dude, I, yeah. I loved it, man. This is <laughs> – I'm super <laughs> – I'm amped up, man. This is awesome. Yeah, I just – you
2: know, I just want to say, like, maybe just thank, uh, like, Bo Bettingfield who played drums on it, and my friend Julia again, who sang, and, um, and uh, Kyle Spence, who recorded, mixed, and mastered the whole thing? Um, amazingly, and was just a total pleasure to work with. He's also he's also the drummer in Kurt Vile's band. If you if you're, him. yeah, great musician, awesome dude. And um, Nick Robbins is the bass player. Although it's like I cannot, I don't know if this dude, if Nick Robbins ever like exists outside of when he needs to be in the studio to play bass, because <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I talk to him every once in a while, but he's like a a non-internet person apparently. But um, yeah, man, that's all just just giving giving credit to where credit's due on that part because I wouldn't have been able to make it sound as good without any of them. Beautiful. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just
1: listened to Zig at the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.